kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing dot 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 all the marbles, released October 16th, <laughs> 1981. It was written by Mel Froman, with uncredited work from Michael Berry, Lee Chapman, Rich Eustace, and Jim Mulholland, directed by Robert Aldrich, and released by United Artists. I don't think you're meant to say dot dot dot. Well, how would it, are you supposed to like pause before you say the title? Yeah, you, obviously everyone knows. And that you're today about we're discussing to <laughs> all the marbles. There you go. See, you <laughs> right. got it. Now, I, now I understand. Do you remember the last movie we had with an ellipses in the title? I don't. Oh, it was. At, it was. It was at the. It was at the end, though. It was at the end. I mean, who puts it at the beginning? <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand the title choice either, let alone the ellipses oh. or their placement. There's three things wrong with this title. <laughs> what was that movie? What was the word before the dot, dot, dot? Out. Why does that not help me? Because <laughs> it was a long time ago. Oh, no. I don't know. The word before out was ran. When, when time, time ran, ran out. There you go. That had an ellipsis? It did at the end, yeah. Wow. I remember because Jess made me pronounce it then, too. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Froman originally based the film's story on Abe Polonsky's 1947 film Body and Soul and sought out Robert Aldrich, who had served as assistant director on that film. So this is an Abe Froman collaboration? Yes, exactly. The sausage king of Chicago? <laughs> Aldrich was excited to tackle the subject of women's wrestling for the first time on film, but he was just barely beaten to the punch by 1980's Below the Belt, which will get a mini-sode eventually, I promise. I saw it, it's good. Octagon screenwriter Lee Chapman reportedly did some touch-ups on the script. The supposed lead role of Harry Sears was written for Paul Newman, but he turned it down. Next, it was offered to Peter Sellers, who also turned it down, when Gene Wilder told him that he couldn't vouch for Aldrich's strengths directing a comedy. After the Frisco Kid. Well, the Frisco Kid's okay. Yeah. I think uh, Aldrich's daughter took some offense to that, too. That was just like, mm. excuse me, my, my father has directed other like sports-related films, and yeah. that's not really fair. Aldrich's son suggested Peter Falk, who eventually accepted the part. Supposedly, Kathleen Turner had auditioned for one of the wrestlers, but wound up cast in Body Heat first and withdrew from this project. Well, that is probably yeah. a very good yeah. career much, move. <laughs> much better choice, I think. The four actresses who do most of the film's wrestling were cast on the strength of their acting abilities and then sent to wrestling school and trained by former women's world wrestling champ Mildred Burke, who gets a special thanks in the film's credits. I'm going to I'm going to need a lot of help here and I I should probably apologize in advance. Sure. I am incredibly confused about women's wrestling yes. in this movie. And we'll, we will discuss some okay, of that. Okay, it yeah. might be based on the fact that the only other reference to women's wrestling that I have is Glow. Yeah. But I'm very confused. Yes, we will dig into what I think is some of your confusion. Okay. 
The marketing budget alone ballooned to $7 million because MGM had so much confidence in the film. Wow. Just days before its release, MGM even announced a sequel entitled California Dolls Go to Japan, but the film's $1.7 million box office take in its first week and the death of director Aldrich from kidney failure during a surgery ultimately dissolved the sequel plans. Well, that's where I thought the movie was going to go initially. Right, yeah. Like, when, when Clyde set comes it up, up to him, yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. Overseas, the film was retitled The California Dolls and performed well, even winning Best International Picture at Japan's Hochi Film Awards. Well, that's what it should have been called everywhere. Right, exactly. The film went on to directly inspire Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, five years later, which paid homage to the film with the character of California Doll in the first two seasons. And even the, the manager is very... Very much like Peter Falk in this. Yes. In Glow. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the the, or, actual, the actual Glow. Glow. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Glow, the wrestling show, was revived on television in 2001, and then as a documentary in 2012, which in turn inspired the Netflix series, a fictionalized retelling of Glow's formation, which was unceremoniously canceled right before production started on their fourth and intended final season. We start at an empty wrestling venue, the Akron Arena, after hours. We can hear a distant thumping and then some jazzy music, and suddenly the room is full of spectators and a match is in full swing. A lady wrestler has another in a headlock, and she's encouraged ringside by her manager, Harry, played by Peter Falk. The crowd is going wild for it. After the match, Harry collects their pay from the owner and offers his girls up for a Thanksgiving Day show, but he doesn't look receptive to the idea. Later, we see Harry's wrestlers, Iris and Molly, come out of a locker room and annoyed to hear that Thanksgiving will probably not work out for them. He offers to take them to dinner, but they want something fancier. For once, can't we eat at a place with a tablecloth? It's okay with me, but those frills cost money. His car burps up a huge cloud of smoke, and the girls suggest he replace his muffler, and he repeats his mantra. Don't you think it's about time we got a new muffler? Just remember, those frills, frills cost, cost money. money. On the road, Harry speaks in mostly short rhymes and quotes, and they ask him where he gets them all. We cut to another wrestling match and Iris is injured and leaves Molly to fend for herself against a double team in the ring. From the sidelines, a promoter, Clyde Yamashito, played by Clyde Kusatsu, watches the match through binoculars for some reason. I don't know why he's so far away. Yeah. After the match, a doctor assures them that Iris hasn't broken any bones. Yamashita stops Harry outside the locker room to extend an offer to bring the girls to Japan for big money. And that, again, what I said before was... I immediately thought, okay, here that's we go. where this is going. They're yeah. they're they're going to have a series of bad fights. They're not going to make any money. They're going to fight in Japan. Yeah, and that was originally going to be the entire plot of the second movie: is that they succeed in this one, they go to Japan, they become superstars, and then the third film, if they got that far, would have been about their decline or their phasing out of wrestling. I feel like they should have skipped to the the Japan part. I think that's a more I agree a, a more interesting, maybe at least more unique story. Yeah. In the locker room, Molly offers Iris her choice from a big case of pills. Iris warns Molly against mindlessly ingesting these pills, while also mindlessly ingesting one of them herself, and Molly reluctantly agrees that she should be more careful with them. Harry goes to visit this venue's owner, Eddie Sisko, played by Burt Young, to collect their pay for the night. He points out to Eddie's henchman Jerome, played by Lenny Montana, that the pay is $20 short. They inform Harry that they now charge for linen service. Harry doesn't accept that and refuses to leave without his money, but when they physically threaten him, he leaves and refuses to come back. On their way out, he spots Eddie's car in the parking lot and takes a baseball bat to it. That night, Molly starts crying in bed that this career seems like a dead end. She considers returning to the retail job she worked before this, or maybe even night school. 
Iris tells her it will be lonely without her and Harry. The next morning, Harry is on a motel phone with a promoter when Iris knocks at the door with some coffee. She finds a topless woman in his room and insinuates that Harry is good friends with Robert Redford before leaving. Harry, Robert Redford called again. Now, I told him you couldn't be disturbed. You mean you really do know him? Iris, out. Just leaving. I wish that after this line they had iris out of the scene. Because <laughs> he's just like, iris out. But instead, we just cut to the adjoining room where Molly is cracking up listening to Harry's flirting with her ear to the wall. Later, from a snow-covered payphone, Harry calls an associate named Solly. Is it Solly? Solly, okay. yeah. To pitch her on a deal with the girls, the California Dolls. Apparently, Solly has heard of them. Solly tells him to call back in June, eight months away, and Harry is livid. Back on the road, Harry hands Molly some pills that he managed to procure for her somewhere along the way, but he warns her not to overdo it. Later, we see Harry driving alongside the girls as they jog on a rainy country road. He suggests maybe they could dye their hair to add some flavor to the show, but they remind him that they don't participate in those kinds of gimmicks. He drives off without them, and they find him skipping stones on a lake down the road. Uh, didn't we have... We, we've had people training with running alongside a car before. Oh, I remember. Yep. I remember. Do you remember the last time somebody ran alongside the car being driven next to them? Uh, do you know it? I, I know one. Okay, I'm going to say Mommy Dearest. Yeah, yeah that was the one I was, I was thinking. thinking of. I think we had one before that too, though. Where someone was running and another person was driving next to them? I feel like we had another one, but I'm, I don't remember what it is. I'm drawing a blank on it, but I do remember Ratanya Alda driving. Yeah, I definitely remember that one. Yeah. Tonight they're fighting the champs, the Toledo Tigers, but it's not a ranked match. It's an exhibition match. He assures them it's still a big step up. Their manager is a former Olympic coach named Big John Stanley. They grab lunch at Wendy's and it looks surprisingly unappetizing. <laughs> I was like, was this just sitting on the table for a really long time before they started eating or did Wendy's used to look like trash? Because I love Wendy's now. We cut to the match, and Harry's doing a bit of shouting at the ref. Eventually, Iris pins one of the girls and wins the match, and the crowd is furious. Boos pour in from all around. Even Big John Stanley, the opponent's coach, is confused why the match went this way. We learn in the locker room later that the Toledo Tigers were under the impression that they were supposed to win this fight, which speaks to one of the failings of the film. Yeah. I don't know yeah. when or if professional wrestling ever made an official declaration that the fights are staged, but the movie presents the sport as being completely unchoreographed, like it's a true contest between competitors and not a scene being played out between coordinated athletes. Which must be, like, I mean, I, I think that maybe we're just early enough on in the sport that they wanted to, like, maintain the illusion or something yeah. like that. But I'm extremely confused by this because the kinds of things that they do are incredibly and constantly illegal in wrestling, but that's part of the like drama right. of it all. Yeah. Um, and they repeatedly say, oh, there's anything's allowed in this fight. Yeah. And it's like in every fight someone says anything's allowed in this fight. Well, and they do the, the, like, the crazy wrestling things where someone will stand on the center of the ring while a person runs back and forth bouncing off the wires and then... Yeah. And then and then uh, get knocked down. Gets knocked down. It's like, well, if this was a real fight, someone wouldn't just stand there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, it's kayfabe, but it's weird that behind the scenes they're acting like, oh, we just happened to beat you and that's your problem. And it's like, okay, then you guys are assholes. If you came here under the agreement that we would win this match and then you just beat us in the ring, even though we were supposed to win the match, then that's not like, yeah, that's not a feat of strength. That's like mm -hmm. you guys cheated because we had an agreement and you went out on it. Right. 
So are they just not in on it? No, I think I think they're just pretending that wrestling is real. It's 100% real and this is just what it happens to look like. It's so confusing. In the universe me. of this film. Yeah, it's very confusing yeah. to me. I like I, I it was so distracting throughout the entire film that I just couldn't get past it that I'm like I I'm I'm waiting to understand how these matches could be real. Yeah. But they're not real. And obviously, Glow does a much better job. The Netflix mm-hmm. series does a much better job of explaining how even even there could be a situation where someone would refuse to lose a fight that they were supposed to lose because it's played up dramatically. Right, right, right. And it's established between the characters that it's like, yes, you know, we're performing an act, but it's also like very athletic and we make adjustments on the fly within a right. match and stuff like that. But this this makes it seem like, no, we're just competing and whoever happens to win wins the match. And it's like, that's not are, how this works. These are also like, okay, so wrestling is a real sport. like uh, Yes, like, but it looks nothing like, like this. Not like WWE, like not any of that stuff. Real wrestling, like if you go back to like high school wrestling, yeah. they're, just, Roman. they're right. just like rolling around on the floor, pinning each other down and stuff. Yeah. That's real wrestling. This is the other thing. This is not that. So I, I guess I'm just so baffled by all these bonkers moves where they're like jumping off of things and pulling hair and like are they actually beating each other up i think that they want you to treat this like you would watching a wrestlemania fight and pretending that that's real and pretending that this is real in the same way but but the fact that we watch them between the fights talk and act like it's all real makes that weird I agree. Yeah, I was very confused what I was supposed to feel during the fights. It's like, I don't know if there are actual stakes. Yeah, is this all planned? <laughs> it's not like Rocky, where it's like, okay, I know what boxing is, and I know that this is a literal fight. Yeah. And and this, like, when they talk about, because after the scene in the locker room, they said, like, oh, we were supposed to win that fight. This is our home our home turf yeah and obviously the room was very upset that they didn't win the fight. Yeah, and their coach comes in, and he even says, hey, I said... I told Harry if if he could swing it, but if if he felt that it was necessary yeah. for us to lose, we would lose. Yeah. When the girls meet in the locker room together, they are picking on each other back and forth until another fight breaks out. One of the Tigers breaks a stool across Harry's forehead. During another match in the ring, Harry climbs through the ropes with sunglasses and a cane to imply the ref's blindness and is ejected from the arena. Between venues, we see the California Dolls pushing Harry in his car down the road. Driving later, Harry tells the girls the next venue has agreed to a payday of five big ones, by which I assume he means $500. One of the girls points out a flaming refinery, and they're glad they don't work there. In the next town, the girls are facing off against a team called the Creatures from the Black Lagoon, but when they enter the tent, they see a mud pit in place of a wrestling ring, and they are quick to shoot the offer down. They even smack Merle, the man who runs the venue, across the head with their purses. All right, just relax. I'm going to take care of everything. Now, that's no way to talk to a lieutenant governor of the Kiwanis Club. The girls make it very clear they have no interest in mud wrestling, but Harry points out that it's in the contract and they stand to make $500 from it. They start to get into Harry's car to drive away, and we get a Gilligan cut to the wrestling match in progress. They have given in to Harry's demands. When the owner, Merle, tries to remind the girls that he only allows one fight at a time, they throw him in the mud and smear him head to toe with it. Predictably, as the fight continues, shirts are torn and breasts are revealed. This somehow unexpected nudity 
causes the older members of the audience to stand and leave the venue. The lead actresses were disappointed to find this scene added to the script and intentionally avoided bearing their breasts for the entire mud wrestling segment, but when director Aldrich realized in dailies what they had done, he had the mud pit rebuilt and forced them back to expose themselves. Jesus Christ. They were obviously terribly embarrassed, and it basically mirrors the embarrassment the characters are going through in the scene. When they return to their motel room later, Iris is bleeding from the lip and tries to avoid Harry to take care of it herself. She doesn't really care about the cut lip, she's just furious that she was made a freak for the amusement of these low-life carnival goers. I don't really, I mean, like, I get that they might not want to do the nudity, but I feel like mud wrestling and regular like theatrical wrestling like they're doing is really not much different yeah i i think to her it is because mud wrestling is not as much about physical prowess and coordinated action it's it's literally just about tearing shirts and making boobs appear this is all your fault harry none of this would have happened if it wasn't for you you did this to me. You turned me into a freak today. They were laughing at me, Harry. They were laughing at me. Is it for sure about the ripping off of shirts and, and, and stuff in mud? Because I feel like a whole bunch of that crowd was not expecting that. Yeah, that's. I think that's weird that they weren't expecting that. Because nobody goes to see girls in bikinis wrestle in mud and then goes, well, I didn't want to see boobs. I, mean, even I was the- just here for the, the good old-fashioned sport. Even the proprietor seemed like he was like, oh, God, what's happening? Yeah. You know, like yeah. that was unintentional. It's it's another of the several like contradictory scenes that don't seem to make sense in the universe that they've established. Yeah. Iris starts swatting him with a towel and calling him a loser repeatedly until he punches her in the face. And somehow that calms her down enough to kiss him. Molly listens from next door as Iris invites Harry to bed and we cut to them driving to the next fight. Molly reads an article about an upcoming championship bout between Superstar and Big Mama. The winner gets 25 grand and the loser gets 10 grand. Doesn't sound like a loser to me. Yeah. In the same magazine, Molly notices an article about the California Dolls. Hey, there's a story in here about us, you guys. One of the hottest tag teams on the circuit today are the gorgeous California Dolls, who seem unbeatable everywhere they appear and are definitely the rising stars of the wrestling world. At least they got the gorgeous part right. What else does it say? According to the article, they're ranked number three in the country after the Toledo Tigers, who they just beat, and the Amazon Queens. Iris advises Harry to call his acquaintance Solly to arrange for the California Dolls to compete with the champion Toledo Tigers again now that they're ranked. While he talks to Solly on the phone, Iris and Molly drive... (coughs) Solly and Molly, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, movie. While he talks to Solly on the phone, Iris and Molly drive the car through a drive-thru grocery store, which I'd never heard of. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a drive-thru service that I didn't think existed? Uh, I can think of what the service is. I can't think of what the movie is. What's the is. service? Maybe I can help you. A drive-thru funeral home. Oh, yeah. That was um, not in God We Trust, but one of those... Road trip <sighs> movies. Was it the Honky Tonk Freeway? Honky Tonk Freeway. It's America on wheels. Turns out there's not much work for Harry to do because his friend has already seen the article and offers up the opening spot right away. When Harry returns to the car, he makes the girls think he had to work hard to sell Solly on the spot. We cut right to the main event fight between the California Dolls and Toledo Tigers. As often as the girls are close to his corner, Harry reminds them there are apparently no rules for this type of match. Anything goes. One of the Tigers keeps kneeling on Molly's neck until Iris runs out into the ring to kick her away and rescue her partner. 
Harry is mad at the ref for not calling all the hair pull moves, but he himself said there are no rules and anything goes. Eventually, both tigers are attacking Iris at once, and Molly storms back in to pull them away. They manage to pin her down for a three count, and the match is over, but Harry jumps into the ring to shout at the ref for not calling several penalties that would have made a difference. While they recover in the locker room later, Solly leads Eddie Sisko and his goon into the room. How you doing, Eddie? What brought you all the way from Ohio? Not my Mercedes. Seems I developed car trouble. Oh, that's too bad. You ought to join the auto club. In discussing the match, the dolls suggest that the ref was paid to throw the match to the Tigers. The girls are dismissive of Eddie's flirtations, and offhand he mentions that he's organizing the championship match in Reno and was thinking about them for the event. I don't remember if this is the scene or if it's a scene later where uh, Harry sees Luca Brazzi and says, it's like, I saw your picture in the post office. You look great. He's like, he goes, Thanks. thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get it at all. Like earlier when he's like, oh, we're charging for the linens now. And he's like, you really think you forgot you're charging for linens now? And he's like, shut up. We cut right to Iris having dinner with Eddie and pitching the dolls for the Reno match. After all, who else is he going to go with? How about Thunder Thighs in the Madam? <laughs> Have you seen Thunder Thighs lately? The thunder's been replaced by cellulite. The obvious joke here should have been that she should change her name to Cellulightning. (laughs) (laughs) She insists the dolls are his best option and could even pitch the dolls and tigers as bitter rivals, which they kind of are. To sweeten the pot, she offers to go out dancing with Eddie. She spends the whole night with him and in the morning returns to the motel room to announce the match is on. Harry is furious to learn she's been with Eddie all night and slaps her hard across the face so she returns the favor. Don't you ever touch me again, Harry. To top off the scene, we get a completely arbitrary shot of Iris sobbing in the shower, and then we cut to the dolls and Harry having dinner together that night. We don't just arbitrary? It seems like it because we already knew she was upset and she walked away, and it's just an excuse to show her boobs again. Yeah. Like, literally, that's the only point of that shot. I mean, I think that she's ups- she's clearly upset about what she had to do to get mm-hmm. this done. Right, but she could have done that. She could have been upset, clothed. Yeah, I fair yeah. enough. I think it, I, I think I it was think clear before. Arbitrary. I I just felt like it was another excuse for the director to be like, "Hold on, take off your clothes, and we're going to shoot one more scene of you crying, so people know you were sad." And it's like she just slapped him and stormed out of the room. Like we know she's sad. Well. No, that's, I mean, that was expressing her anger at him for essentially, like, insulting her for doing what she thought she had to do to help them succeed. Yeah. I think being upset about what she had to do herself is a different emotion, and I think it's good that they showed it. It didn't have to be in the shower. Yeah, Yeah. and even if it were in the shower, it didn't have to be framed the way that it was, where it was literally just a profile shot with her holding her arms up high enough so that we could see her boobs while she's crying. Uh, I have no problem with the scene and her crying. What 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 took me away from the moment that I was supposed to be feeling of the tension is when it transitions to the next scene. It does a spin. It, it does a flip wipe. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like a comedy. Like, hang on. Yeah. I got a plan. Yeah. Like it's like, well, that's a. It that's did like look a, like uh, uh, John Ritter must have just like walked out of the room and then they flip around. Yeah, it it was a it was a comedic wipe. Yeah, and I and I felt like well that that just took the emotion out of the scene. Yeah. Now we cut to Harry having dinner with the dolls. Apparently, they've put aside all their past disagreements and are friends again. Harry asks the girls how much money they've saved and eventually takes eight hundred dollars of their money to gamble with all night. It's not really gambling though. He's cheating a table by rolling weighted dice, and it seems like the man running the table even knows he's cheating and comments on it repeatedly. Another six. 
Another six? Quite a few sixes. Satisfied with his winnings, he swaps the dice back for an unweighted pair. He pays off the dealer on his way out, and a pair of goons watching the whole game follow Harry out of the building. Expecting them, Harry waits around a corner with his trusty baseball bat and beats the shit out of the goons and then takes all the cash they have on them. <laughs> I, I I really thought that for sure, oh, they're going to rob him. He's going to lose all yeah. their money, but nope. I just like that he, on top of like insult to injury, he beat them up and then took the cash they had. It was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> As they drive to Reno, the dolls complain to Harry about the ridiculous costumes he's made them wear in the past. As they cruise down the main street in Reno, the marquee at the MGM Casino reads, Championship of the Women Wrestlers, Big Mama vs. Superstar. Also, North American Tag Team Championship, the Toledo Tigers vs. the California Dolls. Harry tries to take credit for the marquee, but as we just saw, Iris did basically all the work. Once they're checked into the hotel, they visit the room where the match will take place, and Harry instructs the workmen on how to prepare the ring and tips them all in cash. Eddie walks in, and thinks he deserves another date with Iris, but she informs him that they're already on the marquee and it's too late to make additional demands. She also has no intention of continuing a relationship. He tries to grope at her as she walks away and she knees him in the side of the leg. Harry's pissed off to see Eddie bothering her and moves to shout at him some more. If your girl wasn't so good in his sack, he wouldn't be here. Stop it! Stop it! Eddie bets Harry $1,000 that the Tigers will win, but Harry only has 900 left. You don't got 1000 I'll make it 900. I'm a very charitable person. Before the match, Harry wanders around the hotel shuffling posters and handing out t-shirts to advertise the California Dolls, and eventually Big Mama, the headliner of the championship match, is complaining to Eddie that she's not being promoted enough in comparison. We see Harry and the Dolls carrying huge hefty bags into their locker room, and an announcement over the building's PA system lets us know that the MGM Lion is available for photo ops now. Well... So this is my also my problem with this whole this whole sequence is that the paging system is constantly going off. Yeah. Like paging so and so, please report to the. It's white all people boat. that worked on the movie for sure. Uh, but it's like it's constant. Like I get you're trying to make this seem like it's a very active venue, but it, it's like standing outside of the airport. Yeah, someone is getting paged consistently for the entire movie. But yeah, here they're like, oh, the MGM Lion is now available for photos, which. I have to assume is something they offered at this hotel and had to like mention as a part of their agreement right. to to use the hotel in the movie. But it's also an MGM movie, so yeah. yeah. Well, when did the hotel burn down? Had I to, don't had know. To, had to have been not too long after that. After the Lion Fire, <laughs> the famed Lion Fire. It's like the Chicago Fire. A lion kicked over a lamp. <laughs> Eddie checks in with Harry and the girls, and Harry asks if the dolls can enter the ring second. Eddie warns Harry not to spend the 900 that he bet already on extravagant costumes for the match, but it sounds like he already did. <laughs> uh, sorry, it, it burned down in November of uh, 1980. So this is 81. Like, did they film this and then it immediately burned down? Did it burn down because of the hot lights they filmed with? No. Probably. <laughs> the hot lion that they've been filmed with? No. <laughs> That's it. We figured it out, guys. We solved the mystery MGM fire. But is this the same MGM? The is Reno the, MGM? Was the MGM Grand is in Las Vegas? Oh, Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. This that's is Reno. I'm, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Okay, that's the problem. We come back to the half-assed subplot about Molly being a pill popper for just a second, only to mention that she's been clean for two days, and Iris congratulates her and gives her a big hug. Harry goes around bribing the house musicians and teaching all the kids in the crowd the chants he wants them to recite for the dolls later. Even the kids are getting paid for their participation. Right before the match, we see the referee for the final round, played by Richard Jekyll, 
double-checking the ring. He shares a knowing glance with Eddie, and it's clear the fix is in. Announcer Chick Hearn, as himself, introduces the night's broadcast and prepares to provide his commentary on the match. We finally hear the film's title spoken out loud, which should really just have been California Dolls anyway. Well, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it's safe to say that this match is for all the marbles. Or no, what he should have said is, I think it's safe to say that this match is for all the marbles. <laughs> but he doesn't pause. Pittsburgh Steeler Mean Joe Green is introduced to make the opening announcement before the match. Two arch rivals of tag team wrestling will meet in a grudge match to decide which team is the North American champion. Under the rules of the Nevada Athletic Commission, there will be a 30-minute time limit. And in the event of a draw, the Toledo Tigers will retain their title. Prize, $10,000. When referee Bill Dudley is announced, he's already getting boos from the crowd. <laughs> they already hate this ref before it yeah. started. The referee for tonight's card, Bill Dudley. Well, I have a feeling that this isn't his first yeah, rodeo. Like, bad call. This isn't fight. my first time at the rodeo. <laughs> back to mommy dearest yeah the toledo tigers are for some reason escorted to the ring by two rows of police officers it looks like bike cops or riot police judging from the helmets i don't understand why when they enter the ring the tigers have tails but they tear them off and throw them into the crowd before the bell rings mean joe green introduces the california dolls and harry signals the house organist and the kids in the crowd begin to sing the chants that he choreographed the music changes and now the crowd is singing a whole pre-written song as the dolls, in crazy, shimmering, silvery butterfly costumes, are carried into the ring by shirtless male models. But why male models? Are you serious? I, I just told you that a moment ago. <laughs> Again, as soon as they're in the ring, they start to disassemble their costumes down to the practical wrestling costumes beneath. Back in her dressing room, Big Mama is very annoyed at all the attention the girls are getting. Right off the bat, Iris is mopping the floor with one of the tigers. The ref calls Iris for a chokehold. The tiger gets a hold of Iris's hair and calls her partner into the ring. The ref refuses to call anything until Molly enters and suddenly he's upset. Molly has a tiger pinned for what seems like a three count, but the ref is counting slow and the crowd doesn't like it. The tigers do a lot more hair pulling and the ref never bothers to call any of it. See, again, this is where I'm watching. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling. Right, yeah. Like, I, I'm assuming that because they've bribed the ref that this is some sort of a real fight yeah but again they're doing these crazy wrestling moves that no actual fighter would ever right. use and and the two people have to be cooperating to pull yeah. most of them yeah out. right the ref has to keep reminding one of the tigers to lay off the chokeholds and the tigers remind the ref that they planned all this molly gets the tiger pinned again and after the ref counts two he turns to argue with harry instead of counting three but the pin lasts another five or six seconds so clearly this would have been a victory and the crowd is watching it furious it seems clear to everyone that the ref is throwing the match and even chick hearn has suspicions boy that guy dudley i don't know about him i'm getting a little suspicious myself but that's not for me i guess to allege booze are pouring in from everywhere now once Harry concludes decisively that the ref has been bought, he tells Iris to just beat up the ref since they've already lost. Yeah. Iris is getting pummeled by both tigers at once and they kneel on her neck when the ref comes out for the three count. Molly jumps on the ref's shoulders to drag him away and interrupt the count. 
Iris gets pinned to the floor, but then rolls backward on top of a tiger and wraps the ref up as well. She grabs him by the hair and bashes his face against the mat over and over, and the crowd is fucking loving it. <laughs> Harry tells Iris to keep going for the guy, and finally Bill Dudley looks to Eddie in the audience and shakes his head no, like their arrangement is off. Harry is even reaching into the ring to trip up the tigers whenever he can. It's like, that seems like a step yeah. over the line, but okay. Well, I like Harry calls out to the rival coach. He's like, is this, are you doing this? And, and guy's like, like, no, no man, no. Harry, I have no idea. Yeah. I've never seen this guy. Iris manages to hold off both tigers at once by throwing elbows and kicking everybody in the face. The tiger coach warns his girls to wait out the clock because a tie is a win for them. Iris is thrown out of the ring and nearly counted out until Molly jumps out to rescue her. Iris has a big bloody gash on her forehead now. There's less than 20 seconds left in the match and Harry shoves the girls back up to the ropes, but the Tigers knock them back to the ground. They manage to get back up to the ropes, and this time when the Tigers charge them, they wrap up the Tigers into a double sunset flip, a move that Harry has been recommending for the entire film. They're able to hold down both Toledo Tigers at once, and the ref has no choice but to count it out. He keeps looking to the crowd for Eddie's permission to count, and a chant of one, two, three rings out over the entire arena. The California Dolls have won the tag team match. No, not just one, two, three, but repeatedly over yeah. and over and over again. So clearly like, we've counted ca- it we've counted so many times. Three, yeah. Many times at this point. <laughs> Even Big Mama celebrates in her dressing room and Eddie sits down quietly, realizing how much money he owes Harry and probably more people. Because if you had a sure thing, obviously he's, right. he's probably throwing money at a bunch of people. Thanks for the tip, Bricktop. <laughs> yeah. I toss a dog a bone. I want to know if it tastes good or not. You stop me again whilst I'm walking. I'll cut your fucking Jacobs off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's so great. That guy's not in enough stuff. No. I basically just know that and an American werewolf in London. Like those are the only two bricktop movies I can think of. Because he was like the taxi driver who was like, oh, did you hear all those people got murdered last night? (laughs) Eddie hands over Harry's winnings and Harry punches him in the gut. The Tigers coach tells the girls that they'll win their championship back, and the girls all shake hands. The winners and new tag team champions of North America, the California Dolls! Mean Joe Green waves their cash winnings in the air, and Harry takes them from the man. A California flag unfurls from the ceiling, and everyone starts singing Al Jolson's California Here I Come. We're going to get more Al Jolson in our next record, actually. Uh, I also like that the coach of the Tigers says, Look, you were the champs, and you'll be again the, the champs again three months from now, so yeah. act like it. Yeah. Iris and Molly are sobbing with happiness. Oh, we did it. We won. We're the best. <laughs> the celebration footage slows down, and the credits roll over the girls waving their championship belts in the air in slow motion. The end. So I have really mixed feelings here. Yeah. Because... I firmly feel that Harry is kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, he's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And and it seems like the message of the movie is, well, if you just let him smack you around, eventually All that matters is that he loves us. Yeah, and that you'll it'll work out somehow. This is why I think Peter Falk is the wrong person for this role. I I think it actually makes more sense with with Newman. I think mm. uh because uh he seems more like a conflicted type of guy in movies like sometimes he's a good guy and sometimes he's a bad guy sure but peter falk is almost always the good guy and he's like such a sweetheart all the time that we're expected to just like they're they're counting on us falling in love with him and and his charisma that's what i was gonna say the slaps 
if 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 you wanted to put those two in front of me and said which one are you going to love even if he's a uh, kind of a dick it's definitely going to be Paul Newman. <laughs> well, yeah, because the problem is that with Paul Newman, I would accept that they're presenting him as a conflicted character, but I don't think we're supposed to think that about Peter Falk. I think we're watching this movie and we're supposed to think no, Peter Falk is, you know, he's a tough love manager and he's a great guy. Yeah. And he's got a heart of gold, and it's like, no, he doesn't. He's no. punching no. these girls around, and they're doing all the work. Yeah. Like, all of it. Like, the the girls are negotiating their own appearances, and they're working out on their own, and they're pushing the car that he drives them from town to town in. Like, yeah. he's literally providing nothing to them other than, like, he's he's there. Mm-hmm. He's, he's company for them. I mean, maybe he has some contacts, but, yeah, uh, you know, it's it, it, it just seems like uh the wrong sort of like feeling like it's like I don't, I don't feel good at the ending of this movie no. like I, I don't feel like that they've won i feel like they're just going to be in another cycle of this yeah down just the perpetuating line. this abusive relationship yeah yeah although maybe as they get you know to be bigger and bigger names that they they have a little bit more say in how things are done in their careers compared to Right well, now, we'll where they're just know, struggling for everything. We didn't make it to Japan. And we didn't get that second movie out of it, but uh, yeah. So that was all the marbles. Um, I I think the it's almost an insurmountable problem that we're pretending wrestling is real because it takes all the tension out of any of these matches mm-hmm. because you're just watching it like, well, they decided beforehand who wins this fight. So it's just us like waiting to see who was supposed to win it or we're supposed to believe that, that these fights just look like this, the way they're being performed well, in a contest. And it's just, it's just terribly distracting because if it's totally real, I'm actually very concerned about literally everyone in these fights and mm-hmm. what's happening to them. Yeah. Like smashing that referee's face repeatedly against the ground. Seemed, uh, he, he deserved like, it though. Yeah, but those the kinds of things that they're doing would kill someone. Yeah. I think it's a thumbs down also because there's just not enough to the story. It's just the same thing happens three times. They do three different matches. Yeah. And there's not enough of a difference between any of the three. Yeah, it's a it's a thumbs down. Yeah, I, I agree. Thumbs down for me. It's, it's the, too few matches and too much just driving around with Peter Falk rambling, which is... Yeah. Which is fine, I guess, but it, it, it it's just dead space that's being filled and on top of the fact that he's really not providing much for them i don't like that the film clearly considers falk to be the main character of this movie where it's like it's a movie about two lady wrestlers going from town to town but the focus of the film is on their manager who isn't really doing anything for them and it's like these two characters should have been developed more and apparently there was like a bunch more to molly's story that gets left out so that all we get from her is like hey by the way i take pills mm-hmm. oh i stopped taking pills by the way and that's it that's her whole backstory that's her arc <laughs> yeah i, I took some pills, pills and i, I no stopped. longer take pills yeah and that's literally the only two scenes where we mention the pills at all um yeah because iris iris is the one who is vocally feeling humiliated for the mud wrestling and is in a relationship with with falk it seems uh i i guess uh, like sometimes she's okay with him having a girl in the room and other times they're clearly flirting like they're in a relationship. I, I felt it was in that scene. It was just more like, I just need some comfort. Yeah. But, but then, you know, Iris is also the one who, who goes to uh, Eddie Cisco and sleeps with him to get their gig. Right. Which, you know, again, I'm not saying that that's what you should do or should have to do. Right. Like if, that, that's, if anything, 
that's like again against the message of like she goes just just have sex with a sleazy guy to get your name up in lights. Yeah. I mean, that's what you got to do, right? Yeah, I and it's like- a sad ending for Eddie Cisco because he'll have to sleep with more women later yeah. and bet on different matches. Yeah, I, I needed, I needed a little bit more. Like, I really love the movie Digstown, and because I feel like it, that movie keeps you guessing. Uh, but again, again, that's real fighting yeah. for the most part. Um, cause it is also about rigging boxing matches cause it's con man versus con man. Yeah. It's a great movie. Dickstown, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't seen Dickstown, it's a lot well, I actually was going to recommend below the belt, uh, which I mentioned, you can find it on YouTube pretty easily, but, um, that one is like a group of four girls that are driving around and coordinating mm-hmm. their own matches and, and managing themselves. And, uh, it's just a really great story about these four people who are friends, but also wrestlers. And it feels mm-hmm. like a more authentic look at behind the scenes of, of this lifestyle. Um, what about Letterbox? What are we thinking? I have it at 121 out of 145. It is below Deadly Blessing and above Rich and Famous. I got to move mine. Me too. A little bit. <laughs> what, did I influence you guys? No, yeah. just after talking about it, I realized that I liked yeah, it less same. than I thought. <laughs> I knew ahead of time that I didn't care for it. You're smarter than us, sweetie. We've established this. <laughs> uh, so I have mine at 103, uh, which puts it below Earthbound and above the Four Seasons. <laughs> below Earthbound. I love it. <laughs> below a movie that got shot down as a TV pilot. <laughs> it was shot on 16 millimeter film. With a green ape. <laughs> um, All the Marbles is actually in 99th place. Out of what? 145? 145. uh, Which puts it just below Southern Comfort and just above Carbon Copy. Our director here was Robert Aldrich. Earlier this season, he was briefly attached to Death Hunt before he was removed from the position by producers. He also has lots of high-profile titles like Kiss Me Deadly, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Dirty Dozen, Flight of the Phoenix, the original Flight of the Phoenix, Emperor of the North, the original Longest Yard, and The Frisco Kid, this was his final director credit. Writer Mel Froman, not much I recognized. Another writer, Michael Berry. He was a writer on 1,800 plus episodes of The Late Show with David Letterman, and he has screenplay credits on Oscar and Bad Boys, the first Bad Boys movie. Uh, the other writer credit went to Lee Chapman, who also wrote The Octagon last season and King of the Mountain earlier this season. Another writing credit for Rich Eustace, who created the TV show Head of the Class. And the last writing credit is for Jim Mulholland, a writing partner of Michael Berry's with the same Late Show, Oscar, and Bad Boys credits. The music here came from Frank DeVole. He was the composer of Kiss Me Deadly, Cat Baloo, The Dirty Dozen, Emperor of the North, The Longest Yard, The Frisco Kid, and Herbie Goes Bananas. Cinematographer was Joseph F. Barak. He has credits dating back to the 20s. He was the DP on It's a Wonderful Life, Flight of the Phoenix, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, Airplane, and Airplane 2. The editor here was Richard Lane. This was his only feature film editing credit. The other editor was Irving Rosenblum, who also edited Frisco Kid and later the Max Headroom TV series. Peter Falk is Harry Sears. He's Sam Diamond in Murder by Death. Vince Ricardo in The In-Laws, and we saw him earlier this season in The Great Muppet Caper. He's probably best known as Columbo, or for his appearance in The Princess Bride as the grandfather reading the story. And actually, Columbo... I just saw is getting a full Blu-ray release. The oh, whole the whole wow, series nice. is getting one from I think Kino Lorber or somewhere. But uh, that's amazing. I love it. Vicky Frederick played Iris. 
She played a woman golfer in Coast to Coast. Sorry, was it was she actually labeled a woman golfer in the credits? Is that why you said it that way? Because you're saying she. I don't feel like you need the qualifier. <laughs> she's credited she's credited as woman golfer in Coast to Coast. She's Claire in Body Rock and Jewel in Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. Laureen Landon played Molly. She's Teresa Mallory in Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop 2. We saw her last as Blondie in Full Moon High for director Larry Cohen, with whom she shared a lifelong friendship. I read somewhere that the pill-popping story is all that's left of a much more complicated arc that originally involved abuse as a child and potentially a girlfriend that would have been involved in the story, but all that stuff was obviously written out, and they were just like, just mention pills twice, that'll be enough. Burt Young played Eddie Sisko. He was Polly in Rocky, Curly in Chinatown, and we saw him last as Sergeant Royko in Blood Beach. He had previously worked with Aldrich on 1977's The Choir Boys and Twilight's Last Gleaming. Tracy Reed played Diane, one of the Toledo Tigers. She was Mona in Car Wash and Marianne in the 86 Running Scared. She was also MacGyver's love interest in Slow Death, the train episode. Oh, Ursuline Bryant played June, the other Toledo Tiger. She was Captain Trila Scott in Star Trek The Next Generation episode Conspiracy. Richard Jekyll played Bill Dudley. We saw him first as PFC Frank Flynn in Sands of Iwo Jima. He also played Sonny Stein and Arthur Scott in Jaws ripoffs Mako, The Jaws of Death, and Grizzly. He's Chuck in Mr. No Legs from The People Who Brought You Flipper. He's Detective Dave Mooney in Bud Cardos and Toby Hooper's co-directed The Dark. And we also saw him last season as Shepard in Herbie Goes Bananas and more recently as Commander Vince Elliott in The Green Slime. The perpetual fuck-up Vince Elliott <laughs> plays the referee here. Later, he's George Fox in Starman and finally Ben Edwards in 28 episodes of Baywatch. John Hancock played Big John Stanley. He was the Toledo Tigers promoter. He played President Calundra in First Family last season. He was also Clarence Cromwell in the Black Marble Minisode. Lenny Montana was Jerome, Eddie's bodyguard. He's Luca Brazzi in The Godfather. He wrote the screenplay for Blood Song. Sing it. Just an old-fashioned blood there song. Also starring Richard <laughs> I, Jekyll. I was going to go for a different one. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, Your blood, blood song, song stands on, on my mind. mind. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen him so far in Defiance and Battle Creek Brawl. I think uh, Lenny Montana dies in everything. <laughs> he died in Godfather, right? Yeah. He dies in Defiance. Does he die in Battle Creek Brawl or just get beat up? Oh, well, he doesn't die in this. Yeah, he does. You just you see it in the background. <laughs> Off screen. He has a heart attack in the background. Charlie Dell played Merle Lefevre, open air fair promoter. I think that's the mud wrestling guy, Merle. Yeah. Uh, he played Mr. Cross in Invaders from Mars. He's the doorman at Pearson Towers in Fight Club. Chick Hearn played himself. He was a TV reporter here. He usually plays himself in films like White Men Can't Jump, Fletch, and Wrongfully Accused. Cliff Emick played Obese Promoter. Later this season, he's Mr. Garrett in Halloween 2. Clyde Kasatsu played Clyde Yamashiro. He was the Japanese promoter. He plays Yamashiro in Meteor, back next season in The Challenge. In our last podcast, we saw him in The Golden Triangle and The Wish Child, two fantastic MacGyver episodes. And uh, later, he's Roy Shimamura on Briscoe County Jr. In 2013, he was elected L.A. local president to the newly merged SAG-AFTRA. Joe Green, Mean Joe Green, is a football player. He plays himself here. He's a legendary defensive lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers, pop culturally immortalized by a Coca-Cola commercial wherein he tosses a jersey to a kid in exchange for a bottle of Coke, 
We saw him last season in Smokey and the Bandit 2 when Burt Reynolds pulls up to a Steelers practice and Terry Bradshaw asks him to keep Smokey off Bandit's trail. Hey Joe! Yeah? Pack like car! Jonathan Terry played Akron Doctor. He's police captain in Cutter's Way earlier this season. He's Starker in Halloween 3 next season. And later he's Colonel Glover in Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2. Alvin Hammer played Geisha's Doctor. He was foreman in Scrooged. I guess that's just one of the people working on the sets. Yeah. Maybe the guy who won't hold the damn hammering. Angela Ames played Louise, the girl in Harry's Rum. She played a woman at the Babylon Club in Scarface and Miss Vanders in Chopping Mall. Stanley Brock played Myron, Big Mama's promoter. He was Parker in Nickelodeon. We saw him last as the counterman in The Devil and Max Devlin. He's also Coach Dorfman in Longshot, which will get a minisode eventually, but I recognize him most as Uncle Harvey from UHF, who gifts U62 to George Newman in mm. the first place. Susan Mechner and Leslie Henderson played Creatures 1 and 2, the creatures from the Black Lagoon, for the mud wrestling scene. The creatures are the mud wrestlers from this film, and both actresses also showed up in Stripes earlier this season. Can you guess who they might have played in that? Mud wrestlers? More mud wrestlers, that's right. Faith Minton played Big Mama. She was a lady bouncer in Cheech and Chong's next movie, the one that ends up flirting with Pee Wee, remember? Mm -hmm. That's the the main wrestling chick in this one. She's also the woman who tried to hold up the grocery store and got knocked into a freezer in All Night Long with uh, Gene Hackman. Mm Mm-hmm. She has stunt credits on Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen, and she's back for stunts in Heartbeeps later this year. Steve White played a bodybuilder. He was a mod and do the right thing. Cosmo Sardo played a barber. We saw him last as the second waiter in the same time next year. <laughs> One of like six characters in the movie. Yeah. Ernie Fuentes played Man with Dice. He's credited as Mini Golf Dad in Midnight Madness, Native in Herbie Goes Bananas, and Pool Man in Formula. <laughs> the pH balance is perfect. <laughs> the frog is half dead. The frog is half dead. He's half dead from the chlorine. The chlorine is normal. The pH factor is 7.4. That's a perfect balance. I don't care what the pH factor is. I don't want you to put any chlorine in the pool. It's shit. I I've been doing up. this for 17 years. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Listen, uh, I, the frog is half dead. That's all you have to know. Don't put any chlorine in there. Later, he's also the store manager in Mac and Me. Susan Barnes played Mrs. Lefevre, Merle's wife, the one who's very disappointed when he returns to the bleachers covered in mud. She played Agent Rogers in Repo Man. She's credited as Harpy in Scrooged. Who is Harpy? Is that the woman who is upset about the... No, that's because that other lady has a censorship credit. No, I, I believe she is one of the three ghouls inside the Ghosts of Christmas oh, yet to come. Oh, interesting. Okay. Chuck Hicks played a thug. He's a stunt guy with hundreds of credits. So far, we've seen him in Hide in Plain Sight, where he was caught tailing James Caan on the freeway, and then in a minisode for Beyond Evil, where he fought, I think, John Saxon in a hospital. He's also shown up in Bronco Billy, In God We Trust, Raging Bull, and Any Which Way You Can, so far, not including his stunt credits. Mike Mazursky played a referee in Chicago. He was Klondike Pete in Abbott and Costello in Hollywood, Split Face in the 1945 Dick Tracy, Hong Kong drunk in Around the World in 80 Days, Minor in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and he's back to play Old Man at Hotel in the 1990 Dick Tracy, 45 years after his first Dick Tracy appearance. Brink Stevens played an extra. She's Linda in Slumber Party Massacre. She shows up in Surf 2, This is Spinal Tap, Savage Streets, Body Double, Munchie, 1313 Cougar Cult, and Hot Tub Party Massacre. She's in the 1313? Yeah, she is. Aww. I think that one also has um, 
what's her name that was in graduation day um and return of the living dead scream queen mm. from the the cemetery scene in return of the living dead oh uh god i always why can't i think of her name i want to say it begins with an l but that could yeah be it definitely does it's linnea quigley linnea quigley there you go oh and jonathan terry is on that too linnea we, quigley we down that. under wait uh jonathan terry's in what 1313 cougar Cult? Uh, no return of the living dead <laughs> i was gonna say wait a minute I got really confused when you said Jonathan Terry because I was thinking, I was like, I've only, I've only ever heard him as John Terry, but I realized John Terry is a completely different actor. Oh, there you go. I think that's everything for all the marbles. Sorry. I think that's everything for all the marbles. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Strange Behavior, which IMDb describes like so. A scientist is experimenting with teenagers and turning them into murderers. We leave you now with a trailer for Strange Behavior. Here, in the peaceful Midwestern town of Galesburg, nothing much ever happens. Morning, Mr. McNally. The kids go to an ordinary college. However, this is an ordinary professor. He's dead. And they help science with a few harmless experiments. Two sessions, two days, a hundred bucks a day. You always welcome the chance for new blood. Ah. You killed little rabbits back there. I tell you, it was different parts of different bodies in different rooms. One nurse, you couldn't find all the parts. Had to make up kind of a composite of bits and pieces missing from all the other bodies. John, do you want me to call Donovan? Do you want me to call the state police? I'm going to find out who did this, I swear to God. With this little pill, the world will be yours for the next few days. A little high. Am I supposed to feel a little high? She's dead. And he's dead. And the dead don't come back and take revenge. Oh, where's Mr. Brady? Get him. They dyed his hair, then they scraped it off. They fed him till he couldn't move, and they starved him. They cut him open twice, once to take out a pancreas, once to take out a lung. They even refrigerated him once. Would you like to order now? I, I'll have the liver, please. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, I'd like to know a little more about what's going on before you start. This is a very, very exciting experiment. What did they do to you up there? What are those needles for? What are you sticking me with? She said it was like she was drowning. We invite you to come with us on a terrifying experiment. Help! Somebody! Help! It started all over again. An experiment with dead kids. But very strange looking people at this party. I'm not wearing any underwear. <laughs>
They'll scare the living daylights out of you. Fiona Lewis, Michael Murphy, Louise Fletcher, and Dan Shore.